Hi, everyone, and welcome to Speculate. We are here and ready for you with episode 297, and I hope everyone is doing well out there and is enjoying as much as they can yet another year as we continue to move along on this on this little Marvel little planet of ours. I am here and joined, as always, by the incredible co-hosts of uh, both Mike Underwood and Brandon O'Brien. How are you folks doing? How's life in the universe? Mike has got a keyboard, apparently, that makes uh, him feel like a hacker. I just want that to be clear so yeah <laughs> oh god so and uh and as for brandon uh brandon has about uh 700 games that he'd like to recommend so we're we're all we're all ready it would seem so yes <laughs> to, uh, to actually provide all of this so we're very excited um we have two episodes for you today this uh, that we're going to be recording for you in a row so you'll see these in your feed but this first one that we're going to be doing is a special episode before we get there though we do have an announcement about a new show that is going to be starting and i wonder if we could get the erstwhile gm of said event to talk a little bit about it. Mike, I understand that there is a new game that we're playing. Do you want to tell the folks what that game is for this? Yeah, so folks who follow the Patreon closely, which I would definitely recommend, will already know that we have announced our next actual play series is going to be Court of Blades. Court of Blades is a Forge in the Dark kind of renaissance-ish swashbuckling and intrigue and power politics and some romance. It's like got a great potpourri of genres. It's created by a couple of Drakes who are a husband and wife, like married couple design team. I first heard about Court of Blades when the, the Twitch slash YouTube team Actual Play did a series with the Drakes. And I've been running Court of Blades in a home game, which is really fun. So we're going to be doing Court of Blades. The cast um, is Marie Bilodeau, Primi Mohammed, and then, of course, my wonderful co-hosts, Brandon O'Brien and Gregory A. Wilson, and I will be GMing. We are going to kick off the series with a world-building game. So we're going to play a game called Ex Novo, which is about basically building a city-slash-settlement and telling the story of its history across time. And I picked it because I think it will give us the most of the types of things we need to build a setting for Court of Blades because the, the game has a built-in setting that's a specific city and we are going to make our own setting. So there's going to be a fair bit of world building needed to be done. But fortunately, the players that we have are all experienced and talented storytellers across a variety of disciplines. So I'm really excited about that. Our series premiere is going to be on June 17th on twitch.tv slash Arvin Elrond. And if you want more information and updates about that, make sure to follow us on um, Twitter at Speculate SF or check the Patreon at patreon.com slash speculate. So that is that. I am very excited. Yeah, I'm I'm super pumped about it too. I love the world building game idea. I the the minute you talked about it, I was just like, that's super cool. And we've talked quite a bit about the ways in which the world can actually be built out. I actually talked on my channel last night when I was streaming a little bit about Brandon's and and, and my had been talking about different things to bring to said world as part of this uh, world building was happening and stuff. So yes, anything that involves some Renaissance court intrigue is awesome. Though I will not, as has been suggested to me, put together a full drama section of uh i was just like yeah i'm not going to but i might be convinced to add some you know elements that this is this is me like a year from now saying like and that's when he decided to put together an entirely new world of drama in this world you created anyway it's exciting i'm pumped up for it 
it's going to be great. Plus, I get a chance to play, first of all, have Mike GM, which is always a great experience, and also get to play with Brandon. And when Brandon and I played Rebel Crown, which again was GM by Mike, that was an awesome experience too. So a lot of people in uh, that I heard were talking about, oh, it's great to actually see because they see Brandon and myself GMing on my channel quite a bit. I get to see them play. I'm like, yeah, but it's cool to play with Brandon. I always have a good time doing that. So it's going to yeah. be good times. I am excited for the whole thing. And I know Brandon is too. So it's going to be. Yes, I am. Good. I'm definitely very excited. Always excited to get into courtly shenanigans with both of you. But also like there is a kind of joy in playing obviously as opposed to gming that i am obviously excited for but also it's just being able to play with cool people like being able to trust the decisions that i'm making with other writers knowing that we're working towards telling a cool story is lots of fun for me yep um whether as a player or as a gm but i'd like every once in a while to get to play so i'm very excited that that's happening as well Yep, it's going to be great. So you folks should tune in again. June 17th will be the uh, first of those sessions live on Twitch, and then we'll go up for us via the audio listeners as well. So that'll be a good time. All right. So today, the episode we want to talk about here is a game recommendation um, stream, a game recommendation uh, episode. And we've done some of these in the past where we record various games that we are excited about. And I'm going to go first because I have the fewest. I know that Mike and Brandon have a lot. And I have got only one, uh, not because I don't have other ones, but because a lot of the ones that I've mentioned previously are ones that I'm now getting the chance to actually dig into. So I've talked before, for example, about my excitement for the Beowulf game. I backed the Kickstarter that basically is an expansion for that that puts all of the adventures into a hardcover and get all of them. So I'm really pumped up about that. And uh, Beowulf may or may not have a certain prominent effect relating to this show at some future point, he said archly. But that, again, we'll, we'll talk about that later on because I've already spoken about Beowulf. I want to talk about one which is going to be immediately obvious, but there's a reason that I'm talking about it, and that is from Free League Publishing, which is, full disclosure, Free League Publishing is sponsoring on my channel the new uh, One Ring uh, 5e version, which is going to be coming out later in the year, so I do have a connection with these folks. That said, I am excited for Blade Runner, and the reason the reason I'm excited about this is not just because I happen to teach Dreaming of Electric Sheep and so on in my science fiction class, but because a lot of the elements that I see um, in this, and in case you don't know and have been under a rock as a tabletop fan, this thing has a Kickstarter that is running as we speak right now. They are, as I look over at it, 1.2 million, 1,249,545, 11,508 backers with 18 days to go. So they're doing pretty well, I would say, with this. But I mostly am excited for this because they have gotten the vibe of this so well. I don't even usually particularly love a lot of cyberpunky type stuff. Um, it's not particularly my interest in the genre, but there are exceptions. And one of the exceptions is whether the vibe is nailed, whether you really get the sense of the world, whether you feel as if you're there. So the just the ver just the way in which they've put together the books and the art looks really amazing. There's a spread right off the top that has from the core rule book, one year of replicants, where are we now? Off-world thrives, LA rides. And then they've got pictures, of course, of the rainy LA landscape with the neon signs in the background and the whole deal. And you're immediately set in the world. And I think that movie works largely because of its style before we get to anything else. It just, it nailed a dystopian LA from the future. And I think 
this actually does much the same thing from what I can tell. This uses their year zero engine, um, and they're going to be building on that to produce things as well. And one of the things I like about the, the sort of feel about this is that you basically can, and this is related to the year zero engine, improve the dice that you get for various skills as you level up. So you're not leveling up statistics, you do do that as well, but you're leveling up the dice that you get to roll at different contexts. There is obviously some sense of this when you're getting different kinds of, in D&D 5e, for instance, different kinds of weapons. You have a more powerful weapon, you roll a bigger die. But this is doing that and is suggesting that you can actually increase and change the dice that you get and push or re-roll these dice. I'm reminded a little bit of the idea of taking stress, you know, in other games and being able to push there. Push these dice with different effects. And here's the other thing I like about it. Effects that change depending on whether you're human or whether you're a replicant, because you can play either. And that's also cool, because the idea of being able to have a different experience for each of those type of characters in which you don't just have different classes or the equivalent of races or cultures, but you're actually doing things based upon these two fundamental portions of uh, the Blade Runner universe is super cool to me. And then, you know, a lot of the stuff that they're doing in terms of like stretch goals, a lot of this is just sort of, they have key memory tables. So you can create a key memory for your Blade Runner. They already hit that. A huge full-color map of Los Angeles in 2037. Yes, please. They have that. So it's just one of those things where even if I never played the game, and I think I would actually like to, I don't know if I want to GM it. I think I'd like to play in it. Maybe I can convince Mr. Hacker Keyboard over there to, to do something like that. But even if I never played it, even if I never GM'd it myself or played it, just having the book as a guide would be hugely helpful to me to manage going forward. I don't know, just to get things that I can then pull from it in different games or things that I might do in the future. So it's one of those, you can get this as inspiration for both writing and other tabletop role-playing games. So I love that kind of stuff. So I am, I'm, I'm really excited to see how they put this together. I have not backed it yet, first of all, because there's obviously going to get made now, but also because, uh, you know, down the line, I will, I will jump in. This was funded, by the way, in three minutes, I should say. So this, this came up really quickly, which was not too much of a surprise. Like when people were talking about that Free League was going to do this, it was pretty likely was going to fund, but I am really excited to see how this comes together in terms of its style and its representation. One quick side note, and then I'll stop and hand things over to Mike. I am interested to see how they're going to handle the adventures that they provide, because providing the setting is obviously hugely important. Providing hooks in which GM slash GMs can build the world is hugely important. But how many good preset adventures will they have for people to be able to do, mostly because the way in which you do preset adventures, which I'm learning from looking at things like Beowulf, the better you do those adventures, the better you actually teach the GM to GM and the players to play. And so just having a the equivalent of a setting book is cool, don't get me wrong, but it's really helpful, I think, if you can provide demonstration adventures that really give you a sense of what a good adventure in this system looks like. So I am excited to check out Blade Runner. That's me. I, I definitely want to check that out. Yeah. I'm curious how focused the rules are in terms of what it prepares you to play. Is this a game yeah. about mostly being Blade Runners? Or could I run a game that is, you are three replicants in the last three months of your cycle, and you're trying to like figure oh, yeah. out how you can either survive longer or squeeze a little bit more life out of life before you're gone. Like, yeah. can I do that with this? 
That's a very good question because one of the things that they link here as they're describing it is they say, blah, 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 showcase key themes of Blade Runner. So action, corporate intrigue, okay. Existential character drama, yep. Moral conflict. The challenge player characters to question their friends, empathize with their enemies, explore the poisons and perseverance of hope and humanity during such inhumane times. So yeah, it, it would seem to suggest that you might be able to do either one of those. I love that idea of the last... It'll be kind of depressing. But I mean, Blade Runner is not super optimistic. I mean, I yeah. guess I guess there's that. But yeah, that idea, that concentration on just a few months and how that can kind of focus your attention in a very powerful way. That would be great for like limited run series too, by the way, and things yeah, like that. Yeah, because you, you, you could go even harder. You go, okay, like you're in like the the incept date for the you know three or four of you is three years and 364 days left you have one more day you know and like blade runner last day or you know something like blah blah blah, blah. there's you can do a lot of style there the book is just oozing with style like all this material on the kickstarter page looks gorgeous right that's like um, that's what i saw i was just like wow and yeah. it's funny you know just very quickly i want to say Nobody likes to say, I like style over substance. I do think there are exceptions. I do think there are times where something has a stylistic feel so good that it kind of, it, it sells itself on that basis because you really can't make any, if you can have something which is very vibrant, that really helps the GM in actually building a world around the vibrancy of the setting, right? And so... In, in in a lot of ways, I think having something which is stylistically really cool um, can sometimes work, which is not obviously a reason to ignore substance. But when you already have, you know, as I say, they based this already on the Year Zero systems. So that's an established system. So now really getting what the world feels like correct. And also remember, they have to do that while not having it fly into Shadowrun territory or, you know, these other things that have been out and established properties. You want it to be its own thing which is what makes me think about what you were just saying, Mike, that you know, Shadowrun, for all of its sort of dystopic qualities, has a sort of bright palette that it colors with, and it's not necessarily as downbeat, which normally would be my jam. That's why, you know, of those things, I tend to like a little bit more of the Shadowrun world. But for something like this, this might be an exception, especially in kind of these sort of limited categories. So anyway, I'm excited to, to see it and kind of check it out. And as I say, I like this company and I think they do good work. So, And it does have one case file that comes with it called Electric Dreams, of course. But I've just, I knew that I'm just interested to see how that adventure actually works in establishing the ground rules of how to play, but also what the world is going to feel like as you play it. So yeah, I'm interested to see it. Not that they needed our support, but you know, speculate interest. See, is there a seal of approval for interest? I guess that's, that's what we gave it. So that's mine. Mike, you want to go next? Yeah, sure thing. Because Brandon has a very long list, I don't feel so bad about talking about one that is shared between our two lists. So I did not get in on the Kickstarter because I had overextended my game's budget, but I'm hoping to pick it up when it comes out. And that is Once More Into the Void. And this is a game by Ray Najati, who runs Sword Queen Games. Their game stuff is all at temporalhiccup.itch.io. And I'll make sure that we get the link to this game on itch into the show notes. So folks who are listening can check that out. This was kickstarted by Genesis of Legend Publishing. It uses the Firebrands framework. So it is comprised of a lot of mini games as kind of a structural element. And it was pitched as 
kind of vibing with Mass Effect 2 specifically and the, the best Mass Par- Effect, by the way. And the Paramount show Picard. Yeah. So from the game site, quote, once more into the void is inspired by the TV show Star Trek Picard and the video game Mass Effect 2. One of the players is a captain who must make amends, face the consequences of the past, and try to bring back together their old crew. Reminisce about the past, fall in love, get in messy entanglements, see if you can survive the final mission. So I love that we're getting games that have clear touchstones and are like laser focused on. This is what this is about. This is mostly going to be short form. This is about specific types of relationships between specific types of characters with, you have some options across a few different axes, but it really seems primed for character drama, like high stakes action sequences, and that getting the band back together vibe with a little bit of tonal range. Like I imagine that you can do something that's more heroic cinematic and something that's more grim and tragic, but the game feels like it's it's giving you this really well-defined sandbox to play within, which as the world of TTRPGs gets broader and broader, I think something with focus like that can be really appealing because I know the type of fun the game is telling me it will help me have. That's really cool. Before Brandon weighs in, because uh, as you said, it was on Brandon's list also. This is also reminding me, Brandon, what is the mech game that we played for, I think it was for uh, ARFCON, I want to say, maybe? Yes, that would be Pyrewaltz by my yeah. good friend Soup. That reminds me so much of this in, in terms of the way that, that that very focused here, and also the emotional beats back and forth that you're sharing among players. Yeah, it's super cool. Sorry, Brandon, your thoughts since you had this. I, oh, I have a lot of thoughts. First of all... As someone who really enjoyed Star Trek Picard, knowing that Star Trek Picard was in the touchstones of this game was what got me, got my attention instantly. Because I am really into the idea of telling what are essentially space operatic stories on the character level um, from the perspective of somebody who is like overwhelmed by the duty that they have to the work that they're undergoing in this space. So I dig that a lot. This is actually the first time that I had ever encountered the uh, Firebrand's framework. So the idea of playing what are essentially two to five player mini games in a process of telling a story in differing and unique and individually challenging ways from mini game to mini game is really engaging because it means that you're obviously telling a story that is far more dynamic than simply these are all the tools that you have available to you at all times so i really dig that so i'm just really eager to like see what this game looks like in play because like this is my jam i just like the idea of being like a space weary captain trying to reconnect with all of the people that i actually care about in this vast and unforgiving space and seeing what happens after that point that that sounds really rad this is an opportunity for me to tell the story that firefly could have been if firefly were perfect all the time so yes i'm very excited to actually play this when it's finally done the they recently released like playtest stuff for backers on Kickstarter, because I did back this one. So, Mike, you're covered. I will send you those PDFs whenever you want them. Um, Thank you. And I, I think the Strange Friends would play the crap out of this. Oh, oh yeah. this is I mean, going to be... Completely. Uh, I, can, I can just imagine this would be wild. So, yeah, I'm very excited to actually do the thing. 
it has been for some time now on the list of things that I want us to do on Speculate, but that list is so long that I don't think we'll have actually get to any of them. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to all of it in year 30. We'll, we'll have all of this done. I, make, I should say to make us play more games. Yeah, I know. What a shame. <laughs> yeah, seriously, that's that's right. You can you can yeah. make this happen. I want to say just quickly about the mini game too uh, idea too that this is something which again comes back to we were talking about quarter blades and about playing that world building mini game and the idea of having this series of very clear kind of this composite game right of these these separate mini games that lead up to it. I also think is interesting because. In a way, it's leaning into the mechanic, right? It's it's not as as opposed to so many games that have over the last three to five years been so focused on narrative alone in this kind of freewheeling. Uh, you know, we just play off of each other. There is the danger that games like that can become essentially improv exercises, which is again, there's nothing wrong with that, but it does then have a feel that you're going for the same beats as you kind of move dice further and further away from the table. I like the idea here that just to move in the other direction, uh, that you have now more of these games that are looking to these specific kind of, again, mechanical beats that are, you're playing a little different game each time, and all of the games are slotted together to produce this over this coherent experience. And I imagine that's the secret sauce, is figuring out how to make sure that they do slot together in a way that provides a coherent through line for the whole story. But anyway, yeah, that's neat. Okay, so that was that was number one, right? Yeah, I can do my second one very quickly because it's not out yet, uh, if we want, just to put it on people's radar. Yeah. So I'm so excited about this game that I actually pinged the uh, the designer to check in on the production schedule because as happens sometimes when you have projects, other, other projects come into the forefront and then things get delayed. So I'm really hyped about Seven Rings by Colin Cummings. People may know Colin as the designer of Boy Problems, the cyberpunk Carly Rae Jepsen heist RPG that made some waves a few years ago. And so Colin's like design company is now called Boy Problems. And they've published, I don't know, like six or eight games at this point. Colin has a great like graphic design sense. So these games are all beautiful. So I highly recommend taking a look at boyproblems.itch.io to see the stuff that he's been putting out. Seven Rings is a forthcoming game, and the kind of text on this one from the site says, Seven Rings is a game about rebellion, magic, and reclaiming power within an urban setting. The players are part of a revolution that wants to seize power from a ruling class that holds their position through government corruption, having law enforcement in their pocket, and by literally holding most of the artifacts and objects of power that grant magic in this world. Seven Rings is a full conversion of the Forge in the Dark system. It will include new actions, new archetypes, a new system of magic and spellcasting, and a complete setting guide for the final city, which is where this game is set. So it feels a lot like, okay, so Blades in the Dark, but let's zoom in on the things that Mike likes the most. I was going to say, wow, what, <laughs> I, I, I was smiling just as you were describing it because you could tell the excitement, a revolution to seize power from a powerful ruling class. Yeah. And it's like, and this like, is the Mike Underwood game. right? The here. aesthetic palette is like fantasy prohibition USA vibes, like 1920s. But there's some like visual inspo on the itch site and then on Colin's personal site for boy problems. And again, that graphic that graphic and visual sense is really clear. And so I'm getting so much inspiration and evocativeness off the, a very small amount of material, which is why I'm very excited to get any amount more 
currently a first set of materials is scheduled for release in May. So sometime this month, question mark. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That sounds really good. All right, Brandon, you have you have many you'd like to consider. There are a couple you'd like to focus on, perhaps. Yes, my list is very long. Seven Rings was also on the list because I've never been so intrigued by a game simply by its art. Again, Colin does really amazing stuff. I really want to play Boy Problems at some point on Speculate because I know that it will be one or two episodes of us just engaging in chaos. And I think that would be wild. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, I'm, so I'm very excited to see uh, Seven Rings when it actually emerges because it sounds rad. But as for my picks, I definitely want to focus first on a game that I didn't think would be my jam and then immediately became my jam, which is Brindlewood Bay, which is presently on Kickstarter, uh, has 22 days to go. Over 4,000 backers uh, have already supported it. It was backed in 11, it was funded in 11 minutes, which is quite impressive. But Brindlewood Bay is a very interesting little game because it combines two things that you didn't think would ever come together in a premise uh, ever before this point, which is the classic television series Murder, She Wrote and the Lovecraft Mythos. Essentially about playing a group of elderly book club readers who are fans of this like very prolific murder mystery series who live in this otherwise very idyllic New England town called Brindlewood Bay and solve mysteries because it's cool and a fun thing to do to imagine that you are the protagonist of your favorite book only to discover that right under the the surface of all of these rather eccentric murders in this area is something strange and unfathomable also taking place in the town as well that you now have to take care of and i think that it's so interesting not only on a narrative level but on a mechanical level that the moves that you make in this game are inherently evocative of that era of television that like murder she wrote and um the rockford files they have a rockford move yeah you know there's a cool rockford, the rockford move. Files is? there is a dale cooper oh, move there is, is the it. only one here old enough to remember when it first came when i was out i was a kid okay <laughs> but i remember anyway there's an r quincy move and i was like i've never seen this show what show is this oh yeah quincy yeah um i, I was like cool quincy is a show that i never <laughs> heard about before and now i'm very intrigued by the thing but i i'm just also overly enthused by the fact that these moves are not just you are engaging in this space but you are engaging in this game as if this game is a television show there is literally a gm move called cut to commercial where if a player has done too badly the gm can just decide no it's gonna work out fine but first you need to role play the commercial that we're gonna cut to before we return to tell you what's gonna happen to you oh so good and that sounds hilarious to me yep and that kind of energy is like incredibly engaging and i really want to see what that looks like in play because like this game feels like even though it really cares about its narrative obviously that it's also trying to be as fun an experience as possible and i really want like to dive into that especially because 
one of these things is a thing that I didn't think I would care about, which is Lovecraft, but the other is a thing that I didn't actually even know anything about because I am perhaps the only person in this group of people, or even in any group that I've ever been in, who has never seen Murder, She Wrote until a couple of days ago. (laughs) Um, And now I'm really intrigued by that. Like, how does that look? What does that look like? How does that move in this game? Uh, So, yeah, I'm just really hype about the thing. Two notes about that, by the way. First of all, the titles of the adventures, because they have like a bunch of mysteries that come with this. So things like Exit Stage Death. And, and all this stuff. But the other thing is the art, again. Um, I feel like we've been talking about that a lot this episode, but the art is very charming and feels very sort of late 70s, early. Like, it's right in the area. And I just want to say, this is really a matter of research. Like, understanding exactly the time period and the genre from which it comes and the feel that which it represents is like what I was talking about with Blade Runner. I could imagine people who could kind of, like, throw some neon and a, and a coat of, uh, you know, reflective paint on Blade Runner, be like, see, here you go. But it wouldn't it wouldn't land the same way. Tales from the Loop does the same thing. It nails that time period. So I love the evocativeness of the art. So, yes, I was excited. Mm-hmm. When, I'm telling you, when I saw the Rockford move, I'm like, yes, that's <laughs> right into my veins. <laughs> and speaking of the charmingness of the aesthetic of this game, not only do I like the fact that individual art treatments for the uh, Kickstarter, that it gives you the idea that Brindlewood Bay is otherwise a very nice, calm place where nothing really happens. And that's obviously where a lot of the comedy, but a lot of the action as well is going to come from. But one of the things that I thought was incredibly funny about the Kickstarter is that one of the add-ons for the Kickstarter is a cookbook. And the cookbook is like... First of all, it's actually supposed to be a solo game, that there is random scribbles in that cookbook that are supposed to be its own mystery that is designed for one person to resolve on their own simply by flipping through the book, which is already very neat. But also, I just love the fact that the the cookbook is designed to look like it was made by grannies who have never done graphic design in their lives before. And I think that that's utterly charming. And I love the fact that it cares so much about attempting to replicate the experience of being in this space through the creation of another game object. And I think that that kind of consideration for what these things are supposed to look like is really like touching to me. I know you need to move on to your second one, but can we get a shout out for the adventure title Fudge, Jury, and Executioner about the murder of a fudge-making competition organizer? <laughs> I just, I mean, you know. <laughs> all of the all of the individual, like, especially some of the additional, some of the stretch goal uh, mysteries yeah. that they added, yeah. like the long dark tea time of the soulless. <laughs> I'm just, oh. yeah, this... I I am into all of this, please. So yes, I'm very into this. I I can't wait to... I've already backed this one as well. So I can't wait to play this one with the strange friends as well. Because us being like mystery grannies would be very engaging for me. So that's my first. My second, of course, is by Bully Pulpit Games, the creators of Fiasco. Which is another game that I absolutely adore. They are presently backing on... And kickstarting on GameFound, a game called Desperation, which I think is really unique and very interesting. Of course, it shares a lot or is drawing a lot from the the mechanical function of their update to Fiasco, which is now essentially a card-based RPG. But Desperation is two small card-based 
gothic role-playing games, one of which, Dead House, is set in an abandoned house during a blizzard, and the second, The Isabel, is set on a fishing schooner stranded at sea during a storm. And I am very excited for both of these things. Obviously, I'm into gothic stuff, so like on a thematic level, this is already my jam, but I'm just also thoroughly enthused by the idea of an RPG where the cards are essentially telling you what you can play with in this moment, what you can evoke in this moment to tell this story. So you're not just relying on a kind of like stray improv. The game is essentially giving you prompts from which to engage with. And the look of the cards themselves is also amazing. So I'm very excited, especially like the Isabel. The cards for the Isabel deck have this kind of whittled wood carving aesthetic to them that I dig a lot. Everything about this is my jam. I'm very excited to see what this looks like in play. This might be very fun in particular for people who have probably never actually even done an RPG before, but also for people who have experienced stuff like uh, For the Queen, uh, for instance. And I think that it would be really interesting to see what kind of story comes out of that, especially because gothic media is obviously like in vogue at the moment and i think that a lot of people would find a lot of deep engagement from that on a narrative level it's interesting it reminds me also a little bit of our all mutual friends carlos hernandez and uh claire cse cooney and their game negocias infernalis which is coming out later this year um which is based on these very evocative again the art again but also the evocative these series of cards with prompts and you're right it kind of moves us away from that what i was discussing before that more free flow improv into something which is still you know based on improvisation but with very clear you know hooks things that you can kind of connect to as you link from stage to stage so yeah this looks cool too yep i can already imagine the like more produced actual play of some of a game of desperation where like people coordinate on like costuming and do set design ahead of time. So it's like, okay, you're doing this character and now you like, you're like genuinely costumed as this character and that you are like, that they're able to carry those vibes forward. And then like the, even the more produced version is like the, like the video editing to make the players and their video look like that wood grain, uh, almost like rotoscope. Oh yeah. 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 Like, yeah. Oh wow. Like you can go really deep on that. Yeah, that's yeah, like that yep. would be rad. I'm just saying, Greg, you have the perfect house for this. All you have to do is invite us, and we will do the thing. I think it would be very hilarious. Twist my arm, man. I want. I want. <laughs> uh, seriously, I would love all this stuff to happen. And in fact, yeah, actually, either of your two would fit. I'm thinking yeah. about Brindlewood Bay because you can see the ocean from my house, so you could just <laughs> go there and be like, "Ha ha!" In the in my 200 year old home. Yes, you're right. I, I would be. More than happy to have that happen within this place. One last one you want to do, you want to recommend, or you good? <laughs> if I continued, we'd be here for a while. Okay. So I think for the moment, I will 
hold back on my recommendations for now. Let me throw one in there that I should have done before. I'll do this very fast and then we'll wrap for this episode for today. And I should have mentioned it before. Uh, and that is Expedition for the Mysterious Peaks. I will again say that this is something I have direct connection to because I'm going to be streaming this on my Twitch channel and I have a relationship with Alligator Alley Entertainment. But this is from Rich Lescoufler, who uh, is the one who did the Esper Genesis game that I've been doing for a while. Expedition from the Mysterious Peaks is kind of a spiritual successor to the uh, expedition to the Barrier Peaks, which was a mid-80s D&D novel that was basically played encountering a crashed spaceship, but straight with D&D terminology, where there's no reference to the idea that it's actually a spaceship. Like, everything is described in such a way that players would not even know at first what it was, and then they might gradually figure it out, and there's all these cool little meta effects of it. So I really liked that when I was when I was younger, and this is doing the same thing, uh, kind of a spiritual successor to it, but the reason I'm so hyped for it is, and I've actually seen now the introductory adventures for it, so can confirm, the reason I'm so hyped for it is that it basically is able to meld Esper Genesis rules and D&D 5e rules such that it's almost intended for characters from these very different spaces, the world of space opera and Star Wars, Mass Effect, that kind of thing, mixed with a much more traditional kind of D&D fantasy. And it's designed so that you can play those at the same time using either D&D rules or Esper Genesis rules or mixing them together. And I like Slipstream stuff that really kind of combines these elements together in this really interesting way. I am super jazzed to actually be a GMing this. I'm going to be GMing it for the same group of people that has played the Esper Genesis game, which is coming to an end now for us. And so I'm very excited about that. That also funded very quickly, also has great art, you know, all the stuff we've been talking about with these other elements, but I would be remiss if I did not mention that. I'm sorry I didn't initially. Expedition from the Mysterious Peaks also looks really cool, and I am super pumped up for that. So I think that's it for us for the moment on this episode. Uh, we have a bunch of really good ones that we hope people will consider. And let us also say that if you are interested in uh, to us taking a look at some new system that you're like, wait, have you checked out this awesome thing? Please let us know. If you go to our website, speculatesf.com, there is a contact form there. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at speculatesf, as Mike said. And please let us know about this stuff because uh, it would be awesome to be able to to get more recommendations from you that we can actually take a look at and perhaps feature on a future episode. Otherwise, uh, please make sure if you can, thank you for supporting us. Please continue to support us. Spread the word about the Patreon. Please check out our uh, live recordings that we do, our live broadcast that we do on my Twitch channel. And of course, spread the word about the audio content of which types you are listening to right now, gentle listeners. Please let folks know about that as well. Otherwise, we will catch you folks here on the next episode. Until then, signing off, my name's Greg. Mike. I'm Brandon. And we'll see you all soon. Bye for now. The theme music for Speculate is Yellow Wood by Greg's band, The Road. Find out more at www.thebandtheroad.com.
Hi everyone. If you've enjoyed what we've been doing here on Speculate and you've been thinking to yourself, where can I get more role-playing in my life? Can I recommend arvaneleron.com, A-R-V-A-N-E-L-E-R-O-N.com, where you can check out the Curse of Strahd podcast. This, set in the world of Ravenloft, is a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition campaign, which has been running for a long time with a similar group of players, and which has been both a lot of fun and I think you will find enjoyable. If you like it, please let us know both there and over here. You can subscribe to it on iTunes, Google Play Podcasts, and many other fine podcast providers. Thanks, and we'll see you over there.